A reading from John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Are you saved? An odd question. Perhaps you've had somebody come knocking at your door or somebody else in your life come up to you and ask that question. I've never had anybody come to my door to ask me that question, but I've been asked a couple times in my life, are you saved? And it's an interesting question because, for one, outside of the Christian context, the phrase, are you saved, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Saved from what? What does being saved look like? What does it feel like? What does it matter? Are you saved? In the Christian context, this expression came about. It's not as popular today, but it, uh, it came about and me is referring to the salvation of the human soul. Is your soul saved? Is who you are saved? Then we have to ask similar questions. Saved from what? Saved how? What does it matter anyway? Saved from, well, some people might say hell. Um, some people might say condemnation. Some people might say certain destruction. Some people might say the end of times. We can go on and on about saved from what. But it's a question we need to consider. Saved how? Some people might say by the blood of Jesus. Some people might say by the death or in crucifixion of Jesus. Some people might say the resurrection of Jesus. Somehow, I guess Jesus fits in there. What does it matter anyway? Some people might say, well, eternal life is on the line, so that matters. Other people might say, well, being saved determines how you act in this world. Still others go on and on on this list about what it matters. These are questions, though, that we need to consider, that we need to ask for ourselves. You know, it might have been nice that uh, for the first time in a while, our scripture lesson was only two verses. I know Lynn definitely appreciated it. For God so loved the world. Oh, we know this one. For God so loved the world. Yes, we've heard it a thousand million times. So that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed. Verse 17 goes on, a crucial addition to verse 16. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Are you saved? Saved from what? Saved how? What does it matter anyway? Nicodemus is one individual who is curious about this concept. Nicodemus uh, is a Pharisee. He's a person in, in Scripture. He's a Jewish teacher. And we also need to know, Nicodemus isn't just any Jewish teacher. He's a pretty well-renowned Jewish teacher. People know Nicodemus. People will gather from all around to listen to Nicodemus' teaching. Just so happens that at one point in time, Nicodemus hears Jesus' teaching teaching on salvation, teaching on repentance, teaching on the kingdom of God. And so under the cover of night, 
because Nicodemus doesn't want the other Pharisees to know, Nicodemus doesn't want his own disciples to know that he has these questions, under the cover of night, Nicodemus goes and finds Jesus and asks him, what do I have to do to get into the kingdom of God? Because you see, all of a sudden, he's a little concerned. He's a little concerned because he's heard Jesus teaching, and something has stirred within him that says, I might not be on the right track. Or maybe I am, and I just want to make sure. And so he comes to Jesus to ask, what, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to enter into the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds by saying, truly I tell you, no one can enter into the kingdom of God without first being born from above, without first being born by water and the spirit. And Nicodemus has a really hard time grasping this. We sometimes get this, uh, this metaphor that Jesus is using here, but Nicodemus says, I, I don't get it. How can anybody be born again? Do I have to re-enter my mother's womb? And like that, that doesn't make sense. How can anybody be born after already being born? And Jesus has to take a moment to be like, Nicodemus, don't be ridiculous. Don't think about what you're thinking about. It doesn't work that way. We're not talking about a physical birth here. We're talking about a spiritual birth. And now the Gospel of John likes to tease out this uh, dichotomy, this two sides of the same coin kind of thing. There's the spiritual side and there's the fleshy side. The side that deals with this world and the side that deals with the kingdom of God. And constantly there's this back and forth between the two trying to figure out. Nicodemus is over here talking about the fleshy side, the human side, the worldly side. Jesus is over here talking about the spiritual side, the kingdom of God side, the heavenly side, whatever you want to call it. And there's this disconnect based around salvation, based around what it means to go from one to the next, to cross over. And, you know, eventually we get to this point where we kind of say, no, 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 they're not two sides of the same coin. It's, it's just they, they just both kind of work in tandem. We're not going to go there today. Nicodemus and Jesus have this back and forth for a little bit trying to figure out what the other one's saying. And then Jesus gets to this point, verse 16 and 17, where he says, God so loved the world. So I came, so that people may live. Truly, I didn't come to condemn anyone, but rather to save everyone. This is the conversation they're having to have because, and this is crucial, because far too many religious practices not just in Christianity, not just in Judaism, not just in other religions across the globe, in all religious practices and in all human practices, we are much quicker to preach condemnation, to speak about how wrong everybody is. Oh wait, that's happening in politics right now. Oh wait, that's happening every time you turn on the news. Oh wait, that's just what humans do. And Jesus comes to say, from here on, the things that we talk about aren't going to be about condemnation. Jesus specifically says, I did not come to condemn anyone. 
I'm not here to tell people, hey, you're doing this wrong, so you're going to hell. Or, hey, you're doing this wrong, so I'm not going to let you into the kingdom of God. That's not why Jesus came. But yet, too often, churches and Christians and people in the same mindset are far quicker to preach condemnation, are far quicker to preach hatred, are far quicker to preach, frankly, not the gospel. So, to come back to this word, saved, what does it mean to be saved? Saved from what? Saved how? Why does it matter anyway? These are questions that we need to consider whenever we consider what it means to be a Christian. Whenever we consider what it means to be a person who claims to follow Christ. First off, saved from what? Well, I mean, like I said before, we could go on this tangent about how we're saved from hell or saved from condemnation or, you know, whatever uh, dark image you want to place over there. The truth is, salvation isn't just about some ethereal location or burning or something like that. It's really more focused on what it means to be human. Rather than being saved from a place or a consequence, salvation is for humanity. In one sense, to be saved from ourselves. In another sense, to be saved from the way we might want to act versus the way that is best to act. In a way, it's to be saved from the things we might want to say versus the things that are good to say. You see, in God's order of creation, the intention was that humanity would live connected with God. We get this in the, in the story of Adam and Eve, in this narrative, this beautiful poetry, that God, as well as the first humans, were meant to be together. And then humanity takes this turn where we decide we would rather do our own thing, and in doing so, we kind of turn our backs on God, and that's kind of the history of humanity. We have this back and forth of kind of inching a little bit towards God and then turning our backs on God and we're kind of stuck in the middle of this. Whenever we ask saved from what? Salvation, to be saved, is about being saved from really being humans that turn our backs on God. Being people that don't want anything to do with God. And sure, that has its own consequences within itself. Good Maybe negative, depending on how you perceive it. But then we get to the saved how. How are we saved? And this is a question that theologians have been wrestling with for actually 2,000 years. People trying to figure out, well, how are we saved? Sure, Jesus died on a cross and was buried and then resurrected. But what did that actually do? Did Jesus take our place? Was Jesus like a scapegoat? What's going on here? Did God like really need somebody to die in order for the rest of humanity to be able to carry on? And the hard truth that comes out of this saved how question is that life doesn't exist without death. That's just 
the two are intertwined. For example, a plant cannot grow without soil and certain nutrients in it. Those nutrients often come from the death of other plants and animals or microbes, what have you. Many animals cannot live without eating plants or without plants dying. Many humans cannot live for some reason without meat. And all of these, the meat shortages that are going on are throwing people in a panic. Some people, people for some reason can't live without meat or the death of an animal. Life doesn't go on without death. Planets don't exist without the death of a star, mountains, valleys, oceans, all of this is in the cycle of life and death. The same applies to eternal life, or life abundant, or life with God. Life doesn't happen without death. And that's a really hard thing for us to embrace and comprehend, but that's where we have to start, is recognizing that by the sacrifice of Christ, we are allowed to keep going. Just as in the sacrifice of a plant or an animal, we are allowed to keep going another day. So I mean, we can get into the theology of what, what's called soteriology, the theology of salvation, um, but we, we won't do that in this short amount of time. So we get to the question, why does it matter anyway? Why does it matter anyway? Um, the, the only way to answer that question is for you to find a reason for yourself. That's, that's the painful truth of it for me, because I would love to be able to tell you why it matters. But the truth is, my reason might not be convincing enough for you. Your reason might not be convincing enough for me or the next person. We each have to find our own reason for why it matters. And that often happens whenever we try it out, whenever we try to lived, live saved lives. And so, what does it matter anyway? Maybe you find that out whenever you start, I don't know, giving some of your money or resources to a charity, and you realize that you're helping, say, uh, an impoverished nation receive access to clean water, and that's providing life, and children have energy. Maybe you're uh, committed to promoting education and seeing how that develops in the world, and you, you see that by your actions that life continues and is sustained. By your sacrifice, others can have a more full life. Maybe it's just because of that warm, fuzzy feeling you get whenever you talk to God. I don't know. Whatever is convincing enough for you, let that be your reason. Whenever we talk about what it means to be saved, we have to understand saved from what, saved how, and what does it matter anyway? Because Jesus is coming here on this scene to talk with Nicodemus about a change in the way that people live their lives. And that's what religion, that's what Christianity is all about anyway. Moving from living this way to living this way. So for Christianity and for the purposes of this passage that we have before us, Jesus is saying, I'm not here to condemn. What does that then tell us? Does that mean we need to all of a sudden pick up the slack and start condemning people because Jesus isn't willing to do it? If 
you're watching this, I feel like you probably had within your heart, no, that doesn't make sense. So, what is the purpose of condemning another person? What is the purpose of saying your actions are leading you straight to a fiery place or your choices or whatever? Jesus' life wasn't here for condemnation. Jesus' life wasn't here to speak words of hurt and heartache. Jesus' life and ministry, death, and resurrection were all about salvation, speaking life and speaking love to others, interacting with other people on a plane of compassion rather than on a plane of condemnation. This is the transformed life that Christ is calling us to, to speak love. That is one of the results of salvation, that we begin to speak love, that we begin to speak life, that we begin to live transformed lives with other people. This whole notion of are you saved brings us to a change in a, from a condemnation mindset to a life and life-giving mindset. And so I wonder how that might look in our lives today if we were to change our minds from a condemnation mindset to a life-giving mindset. If we were to say, rather than, I don't know, um, blaming the response of COVID-19 on this political party or this political party, and instead saying, what can each of us bring to help life happen here? Because blame never fixed anything. I don't know if you've noticed. Rather than whenever somebody has one way of living their lives, a way that really isn't causing anybody any harm, and then we all of a sudden feel the judgmental need to attack them for it. Rather than attacking or condemning somebody what if we spoke life and said, hey, you know, even though your decisions may be this or that, I wonder if it's fulfilling. I wonder if your decisions are bringing life to the rest of the world. Because that's what it's all about, human flourishing. As long as we are here on earth, that is the most we can hope for, human flourishing. And that is what salvation prompts us towards change from a condemnation mindset to a life-giving mindset. And so my challenge for us today is to speak life, to speak love, to speak salvation to each person we come in contact with. Rather than speaking out of anger or hatred or malice, speaking out of love and compassion and kindness. Rather than acting out of frustration, rather than acting out of hurt, act out of love, act out of life. And this may present itself to you in many different forms. Maybe you're on the phone for way too long with a representative and you're just trying to get through to you know, fix your problem or whatever's happening and you just want to yell at the representative that's holding you up. What are the ways we can speak life into that scenario? 
These are the questions we need to be asking. And by our choices, by the way that we speak life and speak love, rather than condemnation or hatred, we might start to be able to answer the question, are you saved? Because then, then we recognize what it means to be a saved people. It means to speak with the heart of Christ, to live with the heart of Christ, to love with the heart of Christ. Let us pray together.